let's turn to Numbers 21. We will be back in John's Gospel, chapter 3. We've had 13 sermons from the wanderings and complainings of the children of Israel in the wilderness, uh, picturing the carnal Christian. This is the last one of those that we find here today before they go into the promised land. So <clears throat> the 40 years wanderings there, a lot of them happened at the start and at the end. And uh, what I'm amazed at is here today, we're right at the end of it and they're still doing the same thing. This is a new generation. These are the people that survived the wilderness and didn't die because they were uh, under 20 years old when they didn't go into the promised land from Kadesh Barnea. And so <clears throat> they're, they're taking up the chant of their fathers and their mothers. Mums and dads take note of that <laughs> because if we've got things in our life that are a problem with our walk with the Lord, our children will pick up on it. These did. They were all under 20, 40 years ago almost, as we come to chapter 21. So beware of that. Um, and I've seen that now actually in, li in life, in people's lives, that this happens. And let's not let it happen to us. Let us change our ways. Let's not do and complain like we, like our forefathers did or our parents or grandparents. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the looking at this chapter. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the Word of God. It's always pertinent, it's always relevant, no matter what generation or how scientific our generation may be. I pray, Lord, that we would realize the God of the ages knows the end from the beginning, and all these things, our very thoughts, all known before we think them. Our lives are all laid down before we live them. And Lord, that you know the end from the beginning and you're an almighty God, an all-knowing God. And Lord, that's why we have the prophecies of scripture that can lead us into truth before it happens. Lord, bless the word today and the example of these people. May we learn from their example, learn from their expense and not at our own. Lord, bless the word indeed. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Here we find them in Numbers 21 complaining about bread and water again. This is their last complaint. Verse 1 and 3, we have the conflict with the Canaanites mentioned. And when King Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. It didn't, it didn't hit me until I just read it then. Arad. It's a town down on the flat plains of the south that we went to. It's, of course, it was deserted. It's quite a big mound on a flat, flat plain. All the towns being built up. And here, this Arad opposed Israel as they come by the way of the spies and fought against Israel. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, and then wilt utterly destroy their cities and the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them and their cities and called the name of the place 
Hormah, and you can look that up in your Bibles and you'll find it there where Arad is, uh, the ruins of Arad today. So we have the conflict with the Canaanites. A grand victory was won. They trusted in the Lord. Good move. (laughs) These people are going to fight the battles of the Lord for years to come as they go into the promised land and take it. And so this is one of the battles they fought before they actually went in through into Jericho. Um, they did it in the Lord's strength and the Lord did it for them. Let's recognize that fact. When we have great victories in our life, it's because the Lord did it. The Holy Spirit moved in me, worked in me through his word, through his people. And the victory was won. You know, the opportunities we have to testify sometimes and witness for the Lord, you know it's of the Lord. <laughs> And you just say, praise the Lord, he did it, and I was just there to fill in and do what he bid me to do. Then we have the complications on the way. Complications on the way. Verse 4, and they journey from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. <laughs> Great victory, and now what's next? And if you look at Edom down there on the uh, eastern side of the Dead Sea, you can see that it's quite a a place to travel through. And they had to go around and not through it because they weren't allowed to go through it. And the soul was much discouraged because of the way. We think back on last year, we could be much discouraged because of the way, couldn't we? The way we've had to walk. And it, it certainly has been things changing every week. Announcements of this and not allowed to do that. But praise God that you've come through and I trust you've come through with strength. But complaining on the way, often after great victories, like they had with the Canaanites here, there are those lulls. There's the valley experience that comes. Haven't you found that in life? And a great victory and then down we go. And this is where they were at today. And just because we do the right thing, as they were doing, heading toward the promised land, as they were told to do, it doesn't promise us an easy way in Scripture. But on the contrary, because of our enemy, the way may be hard. The way may be hard. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14, we read, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way, that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And we almost ought to tell people when we testify to them about the Lord and becoming a Christian, that it's not an easy way. It's a narrow way. It's a straight way. It's a hard way. And some new Christians say, what's going on? I thought this was going toward heaven. It is. Don't forget that. They're going toward Canaan, not not heaven, these people of Israel. But straight is the gate. Narrow is the way, or hard is the way. And it's not only said to us here, but in the epistles of those apostles that lived life after Pentecost in the early church, they warned that it would be tough. This way would be tough. In chapter 3 and verse 13 of First Peter, we read this. This is First Peter 3 and verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? 
But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. <laughs> These guys were complaining and grizzling about the hard way. Jesus said through Peter, Happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so it's better to do the will of God, it be so, as it said in verse 17, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And so <clears throat> don't curl up your toes and lay down, lay down and curl up your toes <laughs> and say, I can't hack this way. It's too hard. There are complications on the way. In 2 Timothy 3.12, the one we often say that all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. So don't complain, be prepared for it, especially after wonderful victories. Uh, <clears throat> so conflict with the Canaanites, the complications of the way, and then the complaint of the crowd in verse 5. We're back here in Numbers, Numbers 21 and verse 5, where we read, And the people spoke against Moses and against, sorry, against God and against Moses, wherefore... Have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Now, this is the second generation. This is the new ones. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. How long had God been providing bread for them? They, they said there's no bread, and then they said there is bread. <laughs> but we just don't like it. <clears throat> the complaint of the crowd. The same old thing. You know, what do we say when someone's saying the same old complaint? Do, don't we? I'm sorry about the people that play violins, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you have you ever done that to somebody? You're probably in their mood and frame of mind, you don't do want to do that to them. <laughs> because, you know, same old song. And this is the same old song that they're, they're going on about. <laughs> You brought us to die in this wilderness. Would to God we died in Egypt. Really, they didn't mean it. <laughs> and after a few years from this point, they wouldn't have even thought of that because of the wonders, wonderful honey and everything that they, in a land of milk and honey, that they were going to. But they sound like a broken record. They just won victories in verse 2 and 3 and going on to conquer and to conquering and to conquer in the promised land. Yet they spoke very discontentedly of what God had done for them. They had bread enough and to spare. And it tells us in scripture they ate angels food. Angels food. Yeah. Angels don't have to eat but they ate angels food. You can interpret that the way you want. It sounds like a, a good banquet, a good feed to me. It had everything that was needed to sustain life and give them strength for the journey and they said there's no water here how many times have we covered it where God provided miraculously water for them last week was the third time wasn't it that God provided water God wants us to be content with such things as ye have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you and we have more in this country than many people in many countries have and the freedoms we've had seem to be sapping away from us. Pray to God they remain for a time longer. <clears throat> this is where many a church is today, where these people are in verse 5. 
They want to have an experience, an experience that is exciting, um, preaching that the preacher runs up and down the pulpit and climbs the in and out. I remember at a, a Bible conference, there's one preacher, he was going across the platform. It was in Adelaide. And he was clowning around. And people were yelling, hey man, you know, you know are we going charismatic or what? <laughs> and then after him came a very serious student of the word, preacher, he's still preaching, and he preached the word for a solid hour. And uh, now it was before him the preacher preached, and the one that was clowning around got up and said, you know, we don't need, and I knew who, we all knew who he was referring to, the fellow before him that preached the Bible, the Word of God. He'd studied the Word of God. And I don't know that the, the clowning around pastor preached the Word at all. They're all about experience. He's not a pastor anymore. He's divorced from his wife, and he's married somebody else, and his wife has married somebody else. You see, you, you don't just go by the experiences of life. You go by the book, by the manner, by the word of God. You know, stay straight, stay true to the book and the word. These people wanted something more. They wanted to feel built up as they left the church. I pray that you do through the word and not through some person up the front. And in fact, it's an insult to the Lord, is it not? when we complain about that which he provides for us and we're not content. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 48, we read this. I, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. <clears throat> this is the bread that cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat of it <clears throat> and not die. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Not die. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Are we contented with the bread? Who is the bread? <laughs> the Lord Jesus. He's the one that we need to be contented with. Not the experiences, not the things of life, but the God of eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ, eat the bread and be satisfied. You read through John 6 and the things contained there about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they didn't know in the Old Testament that this was a type of the Lord. We do, and we should complain a whole lot. I mean, less. We shouldn't complain, put it that way, at all. Notice, fourthly, the consequences of their complaint in verse 6 of Numbers 21. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Do you think God was pleased with their complaint about the word of God? Do you think God is pleased today when churches want experiences and everything else beside the teaching and preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, he's not pleased. He doesn't send fiery serpents. He may send some other things. <laughs> A righteous judgment which God brought on them for their murmuring and complaining this second generation. Surely, surely, for the 40 years, you've, you've come out of Egypt, many of you, at least half of them, those between 1 and 20, when they were forbidden to go in, that, that they'd come out. They'd seen all the wonders of God. They'd seen the nations that they'd already beaten 
on the west side of the Jordan, and uh, <clears throat> sorry, east side of the Jordan. And they should have not been complaining, but looking for the victory. I'm sure, look, sure Caleb and Joshua were. <laughs> Justly, we feel God's judgment when we are unthankful for his mercies, especially his word, as we've already seen. The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Lord Jesus was made flesh. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Be satisfied with the bread of life, the Lord Jesus, and don't suffer the consequences of wanting more. And so the consequences there of their complaint, the fiery serpents, it's either in from the colour of them or from their rage or their effects when they bit a person. Anyone been bitten by a snake here? I haven't heard that anyone has. Anyone come close to being bitten by a snake? Yeah, <laughs> a few. And uh, you, you hear the hiss, the hiss of the serpent. <laughs> they do hiss. Don't try it. <laughs> Unless you've got a bit of glass between you, but... I remember one of my brothers was picking up wood and he heard this funny noise and he just kept up picking up wood, putting it in a trailer. And then he looked and here's this tiger snake and every time his hand would come near him, it didn't bite him. It's fortunate. And uh, <clears throat> they, they, they do that, they flatten their heads and they look mean and ugly. And every time I say about this sort of experience, just stop. Don't move an inch. And it'll just go down and slither off. The worst thing is you do is, is react <laughs> and, and move. And then you can go and get your stick. Don't worry about whoever says not to. But <laughs> or on the fence post, there was the wire that was twined three times around and it was about five foot long at the farm, at, at the gate. You could just, anyway, they were provided <laughs> for the serpent. <laughs> But these people got bit and bitten properly because many of them, it said, many of them died. God is serious about his provisions being complained about and our discontentedness with what he's done. And as he looks at the church and all the paraphernalia, all the extras they add to you know, religious services, he must feel sick. Well, he does. It tells us in Revelation chapter 3, doesn't it? I am sick of the Laodicean church. You make me sick, he said. But God will said, the fiery serpent also among them or upon them that reject God's way. The confession of the sin is seen in verse 7. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Just don't do it. Just don't sin. <laughs> and you save yourself a lot of troubles. And we, we have sinned, they said, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And so we see the confession of their sin in verse 7. <clears throat> they are pointed in their confession we have sinned, we have spoken against, they said. God uses affliction to bring us to our knees, doesn't he? To change our tune and to make us think right. Just a moment ago, 
They called Moses their worst enemy. And now they're calling him his best friend. Moses, you've got contacts. You've got contact with God. Please pray for us. Please pray that God would take these away from us. We have sinned. God is, has always got his ear open because he made a promise in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's made a promise and we can rely on that promise that when we come to ourselves and realize we've sinned, we can go to him and he will forgive us. <clears throat> but God's patience must wear thin with some that keep doing the same thing over and over again. Psalm 119 and verse 67 reads, Psalm 167, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word after he'd gone astray. And then in verse 71 of the same, it is good for me that have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Let's learn from these things. I know in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou art faithful and hast afflicted me. That's exactly what he had done for them. The serpent sent amongst them by the Lord to bring them back to himself. <clears throat> in the book of Acts it says, they deliver such, was in Corinthians, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Hey, Satan's glad to do that. <laughs> Look what he did with Job. He'll do it to us. If, if we continue to do what's not right, God will send the fiery serpent. <laughs> the, <clears throat> the cure of the Almighty is seen in verse 8 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it, shall live. Verse 9, And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, it came to pass, if a serpent had bitten any man, when he believed, when, sorry, he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. This is the cure of the Lord himself. It's altogether miraculous, wasn't it? People could say I've been bitten by a snake, but I'm not looking at that. But what's that going to do? Just by looking at a serpent on a pole that Moses had made. Well, God's method is the right method, isn't it? It was the sight of the brazen serpent that cured them. But they look, and, and, and that look that they looked with had to be accompanied with faith, that it could cure them. It was a look to God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, when he came to himself, after seven years of madness, he looked up. And things changed. He got saved, I believe, that day. And here, God would heal them. We didn't speculate about God healing them and how it did. It was a miracle of the Lord that he did. And many people died. I don't know if that was before they made the serpent or after, because they didn't look. And that's where we have John's Gospel, chapter 3, is it not? John's that we read this morning. And the... <clears throat> Nicodemus, who come to Jesus by night, occasioned the Lord to bring this into the New Testament. And in verse 14 of John 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world. We know this one, don't we? (laughs) This is the occasion. This is how the Lord brought this from the Old Testament into the New Testament. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The cure of the Almighty for the sins of the world is to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in that look that he can heal from our sin. Observe the resemblance here between the disease, their disease and our disease. The bite of the serpent. Who was it in the Garden of Eden that bit mankind and And from that point, we're all born fallen creatures. The old serpent, wasn't it? It's a deadly bite. It was a deadly bite. For as by one man's sin, the verse won't come to me, 5.12 of Romans, sin entered the world. Yes, as by one, sin entered the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned for the wages of sin is death and so it's a deadly bite it's an eternal deadly bite if you don't look upon the Lord Jesus Christ it's eternal and the Seventh Day Adventists say it's annihilation no it's not annihilation it's eternal suffering the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not nor do the people that go there It's a painful bite of this serpent. Revelation 20 tells us he deceives and deludes the whole world and all the nations. It's a painful bite. The serpent is biting the nations big time today. He's having them go the direction he wants them to go to fulfill his plan to run this world. And you can see his hand all over, even in our country, the hand of the devil deluding people into thinking we can have a one world government whether it be communism or socialism whatever and mankind can control and they can obliterate their plan is heaps of people on the planet well they won't have to do it the plagues of tribulation will do it it's a painful bite it's a persistent bite (laughs) the wiles of the devil the Bible says in Ephesians 6, and we are therefore to put on the whole armor of God. You see, when you win one victory, it doesn't mean the serpent's not going to come back to bite you, even as a Christian. He wants to tempt you and I to sin and to fail and to be faithless in our Christian life. Don't let him do it. Stay close to the Lord, and he, the serpent, will flee from you. It is delusive as well in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he's like an angel of light he'll come like an angel of light and then bite you you know I, I do not get people that like to keep snakes as pets <laughs> just the only good snake is a yes so you all know <laughs> And we're at the ferns at one of the camps we had, one of the Christmas camps way back, way, way back. And we're walking up the channel of the water that supplied. uh, It's got a certain name just behind the Hillsworld Sanctuary. And uh, it was a pretty steep channel. And the kids were all walking up there to the little weir at the top. And there's a snake down in the the channel. He he wasn't going to get out of there because there's no way he could slither up. It's too steep. 
and Pastor Goff wanted to jump in and kill him. <laughs> but it was about 10 foot deep and he wasn't going to get out either. And so we say, no, leave the snake alone. And some at that time even were saying, no, not allowed to kill a snake. Well, there was plenty of farm boys there that said, <laughs> kill the snake. But anyway, it, it lived. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he comes as a roaring lion. He is destructive. When the lion roars, he's about to take his prey. The serpents bite like a roaring lion. It is deceptive in 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, lest the tempter hath tempted you. He's talking to Christians. You know, we can go off with our mouth when Satan tempts us and we in a rage. <laughs> and we suffer the consequences of that deception he brings upon us thinking that we're right. It is disastrous in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, he blinds of the, the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in unto them. That is a disaster, isn't it? For someone to be born, to live, to die, and to go to hell forever. That's the bite of the serpent. Its duration is for eternity, as we've mentioned. In Luke 13.3, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. If you're here today or listening in, you've suffered the bite of the serpent, we all have. You need to look to the Saviour and be saved so that the bite of the serpent is nullified. Sin is forgiven. We're cleansed as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the resemblance, first of all, between their disease and our disease, the bite of the serpent, between, secondly, their remedy and ours. God's antidote is the only one that works, is it not? <laughs> there's no other way. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other remedy. You can crawl on your hands and knees to some idol in Rome and it'll get you nowhere but sore knees and an aching heart that doesn't cleanse you from your sin. You can pay all the penance and you can buy indulgences and you can do whatever you want, but it will not get you to heaven. And when you tell a person that's doing those things that that's the case, they get angry. Maybe a few might repent. It is a way, it is a very unlikely method of cure as you think of it. Look upon the serpent. Look upon the serpent on the pole. So was the death of God's Son. Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Gentiles foolishness, but unto them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's foolishness to people, but it is the power of God to salvation. An unlikely method. They think, and well, we all think, I think, <laughs> before we're saved, that we can work our way there. Well, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. And the one we use most probably in Galatians, I mean Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. <clears throat> uh, 
and the between the remedy and ours. Thirdly, that which was cured was shaped in the likeness of that which was wounded. In Romans 8.3 it reads, He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh for us. We're the ones that get the cure. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Philippians 1 uh, is in chapter 2 actually. He took upon him the form of a man, was made in the likeness of men. He suffered death for us on the cross. The serpent, fourthly, was lifted up. And so was the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we read in the Gospel of John. And if I be lifted up, in chapter 12 of John, from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. He wants to draw all men unto himself. It's the name of Christ known around the world. 2,000 years ago, he was crucified. He was lifted up. And do people know about, the, they know, but not, may not know him personally, but do they know the name of Christ and who he represents and who he's talking about, mostly, except in maybe communist countries. And even there, when somebody is forbidden to get something, you want it more. The, the, the communists might be doing themselves a disservice. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to have it. Well, I want one now. <laughs> What's it got in that you're trying to hide from me? But um, the name of Christ is going to draw all men unto himself. He is lifted up by the preaching of the word. We lift him up and people hear the preaching of Christ and him crucified. Paul said, preach Christ. Well, no, Peter said, preach Christ and him crucified. In Isaiah eleven ten, he, Christ, shall be for an ensign or a banner to the people. And to him shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Colossians 2.15 And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. By the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the word of God, and by the foolishness of preaching, people are saved as they look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And between the application and the remedy, theirs and ours, Back there, they were to look if they were bitten. They've all been bitten. We've all been bitten. We need all to look. And the Lord's going to draw all to him, wants to draw all to himself. But they had to what? It's easy. Look. And look and live. It must be a look of faith. We can hear about the Lord Jesus and understand with our head. We can comprehend intelligently that that's the way I see it. I see it. But we have to change in the heart, don't we? There has to be the application. It has to move those whatever six, six inches a foot down. We must look and live and we must believe by faith. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us plainly that we are to look at the Lord Jesus 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're looking for answers to life's problems today, <clears throat> you've got to look in the right, to the right person. The Lord Jesus lifted up from earth on the cross, <clears throat> and it has to be a look of faith, a look of belief. Not just a look of the intellect and the mind. 
In Hebrews 10 and verse 38, we read, Now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. In chapter 11 and verse 6 of Hebrews, Without faith it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not being mixed with faith, it says in another verse, doesn't it? As we look, that look must be accompanied by believing and by faith. Similar. We must have the look of faith. In Hebrews chapter 2, the chosen four from Hebrews, in verse 9 to 10, we read this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He took the sting, didn't he? He's taken the bite of the serpent for us. For it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Have you believed by faith? Have you been saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you had the look of faith? Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 45, 22. Hearken unto me in Isaiah 51, verse 1. Ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock from which you are hewn, and the hole of the pit from which you are digged. (laughs) the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. Come see a man that told me all things that I ever did was the testimony of one that just got saved. How, more, how, how simpler could it be put? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he did for you and me on the cross 2,000 years ago. Not just with your mind, but with your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a simple message, is it not? All Nebuchadnezzar had to do with all his pride is be humbled and then look. And then look. Have you looked to the Lord Jesus for salvation today? I pray that you have. Sirs, those who inquired in Acts, we would see Jesus. As you look, see the Lord, not some system of man, not some works program to get saved, but by faith believe today. Come to the Lord today. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this example of these in the Old Testament who were going their own covetous, self-centered, unsatisfied way, discontented, You sent the serpent that they might turn. You sent the serpent of affliction into their lives that, Lord, as a nation, as a people, as a new generation, they would turn by faith and believe because they needed to believe before they went to fight the fight. Lord, and have the victories in Canaan. And, Lord, before we can fight the fight of faith, we have to be those of faith. Men and and women who have looked 
upon the Lord Jesus lifted high and lifted up, crucified among them. And Lord, they believed. We believe. And Lord, by that we are healed. And we are then able to do the work of the Lord in the Lord's way. Bless those who seek today. May they look unto he that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Draw them to yourself by faith today that they might be saved. And Lord, as we today remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the supper, in the elements today, may we look to him and not take our eyes off him. As soon as we take our eyes off the Lord, we begin to sink and be overcome. Bless each one of us as we celebrate the supper today. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.